Ephesians 4. We've been studying Ephesians since the fall, and we have gone, we're going to complete chapter 4 today. It's taken us about as long to study it as it might have been for Paul to write it in prison and to get it to the church of Ephesus. All right, Ephesians 4, I'm going to remind you from verse 22. Let's read 22 through 24. What He's in a season here of telling us what to put off of the carnal nature of the old man and what to put on of the new nature in Christ Jesus. So in verse 22, he says, Put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. And then he goes on to say that we are to put off lying and put on truth. We're to put off unrighteous anger and handle anger righteously instead. And rather than stealing, we're to work hard so that we have something to give to others. That takes us up through verse 28. And now in verse 29, he says, let no com corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Let no word or communication that is corrupt proceed out of your mouth. Now, the Greek word translated corrupt means rotten, decayed, unwholesome, and worthless. And I heard one preacher one time say it means rotten meat. Let no rotten meat, no worthless word, no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth. Hold your place there and let's go to Psalm 12. Psalm 12. We're starting in verse 1. We're going to read through verse 4. David is writing this. He says, Help, Lord, for the godly man ceases, for the faithful disappear from among the sons of men. They speak idly, everyone with his neighbor. With flattering lips and a double heart they speak. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things, who have said, With our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? Let's look at verse 4 again. They have said, with our tongue we will prevail. Our lips are our own. Who is Lord over us? So who is Lord over us is revealed by who masters the tongue. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We can look at our own lives and see the consequences of the words we speak. Are we healthy in body and in mind, in soul? Remember the phrase, I'm dead tired? You know, if we say phrases like that, I'm dead tired, we're actually speaking death over our lives. It's not just everyone else who hears our words that's blessed or cursed by them that brings life or death to them. It's also ourselves because we hear our own words. Do we have a positive outlook or a negative outlook? That's part of the fruit of our words. Do we look for faults in others or do we look for good in others? Does bitterness reside deeply within us where we tend to be easily offended 
and easily offend others. That's all part of the fruit of our words. Our words have the power to encourage or discourage, to heal or to hurt, to bless or to curse, to release life or to release death. Derek Prince wrote a book called uh, Blessing or Cursing. And in it, he says the main vehicle for blessing or cursing is not which, what witches do, what people in the occult do. The main vehicle is our words, and it's extra strong in the words of the believers because we have the Spirit of God living within us. So when we speak words of life, it really releases, releases life. But when we speak words of death, of discouragement, disillusionment, of doubt, of fear, that also is powerfully released we will give an account for every idle word we speak, Jesus said. So on the day of judgment, man, let's make sure we have been speaking words of life, not words of death. Another scripture I'd like us to look at, it's common to you, is James 3. So if you'd look, turn to the book of James. Just want to emphasize this whole picture of what Paul's talking about. Don't let any corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. James 3 verse 2 says, We all stumble in many things. If anyone does not stumble in word, he is a perfect or a mature man, able also to bridle the whole body. Look at verse 8. No man can tame the tongue. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not, ought not to be so. Back to Ephesians 4.29. Ephesians 4.29, again, let no corrupt communication, not even a little bit, no corrupt communication come out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. So the kind of words we are supposed to speak are words that are good, kind, generous, that's what that word means, and in the business of building up others. We need to think that way. We are not called to destroy. Paul said that in another epistle of his. I don't have the authority to destroy. I have the authority to build up. We can all say that too. We have the authority. We are called to build up one another. And we do that largely through our words. We are to give words, speak words, impart words that minister grace. That's blessing, kindness, and favor to everyone who hears us. In John 6, 63, Jesus said, The words that I speak are spirit and they are life. So as his disciples, our testimony should be the same, that our words are inspired by the Holy Spirit of God and they give life to all that hear them. So not just life in general, but specifically they give hope, they give joy, they give love, they give encouragement, they give comfort to all who hear them. I, I've heard of people talki talking about a fast from talking, and I think that's quite good. And I've done that sometimes for a few hours at a time. I've never made it for 24 hours. But for a few hours at a time, I've, I've taken a fast from talking. 
and you notice how many idle words want to come out of your mouth when you've decided not to say anything. Uh, it's a good practice if any of you want to try that. So I'll tell you a story. This is a true story. The 20th U.S. president was James Garfield. He served in 1831. He was shot. He died as a result of the gunshot wound. And so Vice President Chester Arthur became the president. And Arthur was really a political mess. He never wanted to be a president. He was controlled by a ruthless New York politician. But many were accusing Arthur of having Garfield shot so that he could be the president. And they thought that when he became president, he would ruin the nation. And that fear never materialized. Not only did he serve the country well, he also successfully carried out much of Garfield's agenda. What made the difference? It was an unknown invalid lady named Julia Sand. She wrote Arthur letters. And he kept 23 of the letters that she wrote. They were especially encouraging. And one of her statements was this. Great emergencies awaken generous traits which have lain dormant half a life. If there is a spark of true nobility in you, now is the occasion to let it shine. She also wrote this in one of her letters. Do you feel flattered how surprised people are when you do anything good? Well, go on surprising them. But I am never surprised because I expect that of you. If you had done otherwise, I should have been very disappointed. Julia Sands was so encouraging that Arthur took her as his unofficial political advisor. Her letters of encouragement changed him, did not just motivate him, they changed him. And that's the power of encouragement. A kind word, a gracious letter can help someone who's having a hard time find the courage to carry on. How many students have been have risen to success because of teachers, professors like Bill Thomas, or Sunday school teachers who encourage them. Many of you have been in a role where you've encouraged Donna Beth as a teacher, and you've encouraged many people, and they've risen to a place of success because of your investment in their lives. Anytime you get an opportunity to encourage someone, affirm someone, take that opportunity. Uh, Reuben and I are, are blessed to work with a great team here at Highland. This is really an outstanding staff at Highland. And one of the things that we especially love is that the team encourages each other intentionally. We have a meeting every Monday afternoon at 2 o'clock, and in that meeting we share people we've met within the last week, connections we've made, what God's doing in the lives of our people, and we just kind of hear what's happening in the congregation because the church is so large. That's the way we can keep up with what God's doing with the children, with the youth, with the college, with the seniors, whatever. We all just share. People we've met, new people, whatever. And uh, But one, one thing I love about that particular meeting is that people will encourage each other. Like in the midst of encouraging, someone will say, and I just want to give a shout out to Jordan McKinney. Do you know what he did this week with the youth? And they'll talk about what Jordan did that week with the youth. And then someone else will say, I was so blessed when I saw how Drew was interacting with the college kids. Let me tell you what I witnessed. And they will, and there is an affirmation and an, and an open encouragement that goes on. And 
you know, it brings to mind to me the truth that encouraging one-on-one is important, but when you affirm in public, that is extra powerful. And, and we really have a culture of honor among the staff here. So I want to thank you for those of you that pray for the staff and pray for the church. The Lord's answering your prayers. Continue to pray. God's doing a good work here. I don't know if you are aware that all this last week, Highland was a, a warming shelter and many people came, spent nights here, got snacks here, got small meals, slept on chairs. And uh, there, there's a ministry to, you know, we're not doing the wellness center yet, but we do the wellness center on a regular basis. We got Marianne that's ministering at Dean Highland School, and we had people from the Dean Highland neighborhood here throughout the week. So God's given us many open doors already to do the work of the kingdom here. Okay, let's get back to Ephesians 4. So verse 30, he says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, the Greek word for grieve is translated grieve. It's also translated cause distress or cause sorrow. The Holy Spirit who has sealed us for the day of redemption, that's the day of judgment. So we want to make sure we don't grieve him. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Well, that verse is sandwiched between verse 29 and verse 31. So those are the main ways that we grieve him. Back to verse 29, anytime we speak corrupt words that break down other people or that spread discord or disunity or that hurt others, that abuse others, any slander we speak, that is grieving the Holy Spirit of God. And in verse 31, the way we grieve him is through bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, and all malice. We're going to look at that in detail in just a minute. But that's also how we grieve the Holy Spirit of God. One of the best books I've read in a long time is a book by R.T. Kendall called The Sensitivity of the Holy Spirit. You actually can't get it anymore. It's not printed. But you can go on YouTube and hear R.T. Kendall preach on it. So if you want to Google the sensitivity of the Holy Spirit or Google R.T. Kendall, that's a fabulous message about all about the Holy Spirit and how sensitive He is and so how sensitive we need to walk before Him so that we don't grieve Him. John Wesley wrote this, Grieve not the Holy Spirit by any disobedience or corrupt conversation or by any of the sins of verse 31, Ephesians 4:31. Do not force Him to withdraw from you as a friend does from whom you grieve, with unkind behavior. The day of redemption is the day of judgment in which our redemption will be completed. So verse 31, we're to put away bitterness, wrath. Now the word for wrath here means outbursts of anger, angry tempers, and fierce rage. It's different from the next word anger, which means impulsive anger that arises quickly. Then he goes on to say, clamor. Clamor is loud quarreling. We're to put that away. That grieves the Holy Spirit of God. We're to put away evil speaking, and that includes slander, abusive language, and blasphemies. And we're to put away all malice and all wickedness. I think most of you probably know that 
South Africa's anti-apartheid champion, Nelson Mandela, became the first black president of South Africa. That was in 1994. Nelson Mandela served 27 years on Robben Island in, a, in the prison there because of his anti-government activities. He was involved in terrorism. So he was caught. This was when it was a white, very oppressive government, but also very protective government for the white people, not for the black people, unfortunately. But so Nelson Mandela spent 27 years in prison. Now, I lived during the apartheid years, so I knew what that was like to live in South Africa during those years. For seven years, I lived there. Then Reuven and I moved back there later after Mandela had already been the president, and then he moved on, and, and another black man was the president, and they've continued to have black Africans as the president since then. Um, but when Nelson Mandela came out of prison in 1990, he was a better man. He wasn't bitter when he came out. And this is what he said. As I walked out the door toward the gate that would lead to my freedom, I knew if I did not leave my bitterness and hatred behind, I would still be in prison. In the hours and the days after his death, at the age of 95, the headlines across the world said that Mandela was now at peace. But the reality is that he was at peace long before he died. He was at peace the moment he decided to bury his bitterness. Bitterness is the first sin that is mentioned in verse 31 that grieves the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if we hold bitterness within, it will come out in our words, in our attitudes. Hebrews 12, 15 says a root of bitterness defiles many people. It doesn't just defile us. It eats away at our flesh. It eats away at our bones. Bitterness is one of the main causes of many medical conditions. We've got to get, to get rid of bitterness. So all the sins that we see in Ephesians 431 stem from deep inner issues that require confession, repentance, forgiveness, and healing. If you see yourself reflected in that verse, so let's look at it again. If you see bitterness in your life, if you see ongoing wrath, rage, anger, quarreling, evil speaking, abusive language, any kind of form of malice or wickedness, if you see any of that in your life, I urge you to do business with God about it. Don't continue to hold on to that in your life. Don't let it drive you. We want to be led by the Spirit of God. We don't want to be driven by anything that is deep within us. Whatever we don't deal with continues to contaminate us. And so instead of speaking words of life and living water, the water that comes out of us is contaminated and defiled by the brokenness and the woundedness in us. So we've got to deal with these things. And we do it with confession, confessing before God. Confessing before man is also sometimes part of our healing, according to James 5.16. Repenting of it, turning from it, not just confessing it, but turning from it, deciding not to walk that way again. Putting it off, forgiving who you must forgive, and asking the Lord to heal those sin patterns in your soul. 
Sometimes we sin so much in a certain area, especially in areas of bitterness and anger, that it becomes a sin pattern in our souls. And it's not enough just to confess it. It's not enough to try to repent. We need to ask God to cleanse us and to heal us, cleanse our soul of this stuff. You know, when, when we confess sin, I don't know how what your wording is when you confess sin before God, but part of my wording is to say, Lord, would you forgive me of any sin, any compromise, any unrighteousness in me, and would you cleanse me with the blood of Jesus through my spirit, my soul, and my body? Set me apart for yourself again. So it's not just forgive me of my sin, it's cleanse me, wash me. Make me new, cleanse my mind, cleanse my will, cleanse my emotions with the blood of Jesus. Remove from me any way of wickedness so that I can walk in paths of righteousness. Sometimes we need to not just pray quick prayers. We need to really do business before God. And if you see that you need to by looking at these areas, I encourage you, you know, spend some time on your knees and deal with these things before the Lord. It says in... um, Matthew 5, verse 4, those who mourn, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, one of the ways to explain that verse is when we will mourn our sin, grieve our sin before a holy God, we will be comforted with forgiveness and cleansing and healing. But too often we say, Lord, forgive me, but we don't say deliver me. I don't want to keep doing this. Lord, please forgive me, but deliver me, change me, cleanse me, heal me, so that I don't keep falling into old traps of sin and brokenness. May I be whole in you. May I reach maturity in you and even perfection in the way I love other people. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. In context, he had just been talking about loving. So he's basically saying, be perfect in love, be mature in love as your father in heaven is. All right, let's read verse 32. Be kind to one another. So in context, in verse 31, we're putting off bitterness, wrath, anger, those things. In verse 32, we're putting on being kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. So we're to put on goodness. Anytime you see the word kind, it's usually linked with good. So I was looking it up. It's usually the word caris, and that starts with good. So to be good to one another, be kind to one another, be tenderhearted toward each other, be forgiving. We are to forgive just as God has forgiven us, and that is with his favor, his grace, and his generosity. We don't forgive grudgingly. We forgive from our heart. It says in Matthew 18, Jesus said, if you do not forgive from your heart, neither will your Father in heaven. And you remember Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus said our forgiving others is fundamental to our Father forgiving us. When we refuse to forgive, we are in danger of developing the same sins that were listed in the previous verse. We're in danger of moving into and cultivating bitterness, anger, wrath, clamor, loud quarreling, wickedness. Those things follow unforgiveness. I'll tell you a, a 
another story. This isn't a true story. This is sort of an analogy, I guess. But there were two monks that were walking through the countryside together, and they saw an old woman sitting by the side of a river, wanting to cross the river, but the bridge was out. And so one of the monks said to her, why don't you let us carry you across the river? And she agreed to that. And so both the monks picked her up and carried her across the river, put her down on the other side, and she went on her way. And the two monks continued to walk. And after about a mile, the second monk said to the first one, man, look at my clothes. I'm all dirty. I'm all muddy. And my back is aching from carrying that woman across the river. And the other monk just kind of nodded and smiled. And then they walked on a few more miles. And then the second monk started complaining again. He said, man, look at me. My clothes are a wreck and my back is aching so bad. I don't know that I can continue walking. And the first monk said, do you notice that I'm not complaining about my clothes and about my back? He said, you're still carrying the lady I put her down four miles ago, but you're still carrying her. That's why it's still heavy for you. And that's what some of us are like. We're still carrying burdens of something that happened months ago, years ago, a long time ago, even our childhood. Sometimes we still carry burdens and pain from our childhood that we've never let go. We've never put it at the cross. We've never let the blood of Jesus be enough for it. And just as the blood of Jesus is enough for all of our sin, and we're so grateful for that, it's also sufficient for the blood of everyone else's sin. And we've got to allow it to be. And that's another good way to pray. Not Don't just say, Lord, thank you that your blood's enough for my sin. Would you cleanse my sin? Lord, thank you that your blood is enough for my father's sin. Your blood's enough for my mother's sin. Your blood's enough for my uncle's sin. The coaches that yelled at me and the teachers that mocked me and the neighbors that abused me, Lord, your blood is enough for all their sin. And so, Lord, today I release your blood toward them and I forgive them. I lay it down. I'm not going to pick it back up. I'm not going to keep carrying it. You know, life is too hard. What we've just walked through in the last week, life is too hard to keep carrying burdens from the past. We've got to let them go. We've all been disappointed. None of our lives turned out the way we thought they would, right? <laughs> Man, I was going to be a doctor of psychology and have my own office. And then I was going to have an inner healing ranch. It didn't turn out that way. We were all going to do some cool things, right? But we're just us. We're serving the Lord. And that's, the, that's the, really the highest privilege, the greatest honor, that we're his children. We get to know him. We get to walk with him. We get to have family relationships with each other. Let's not keep looking back and begrudge what, you, what we didn't get to do. And, and the, you know, the people we wanted to be in our lives for the, the entirety of our lives. Some of you have lost children. Some of you have lost best friends. Some of you have lost siblings. You know, I've lost a few best friends in death. And, you know, I know you have too. We thought they'd be with us for a long time. But we got to enjoy them for a season. Praise the Lord. And Jesus is going to be with us forever. And like Reuben started out, let's count our blessings. And not just carry the negatives. Let go of the negatives. Let's not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, 
How's our time? Man, I can finish this book. Just a little joke there. Okay. <clears throat> so let's look at the companion verses in Colossians 3. Remember, Paul wrote these two books at a similar time while he was in a Philippian prison. And so they say a lot of similar things, but the wording is sometimes a little different. And I like how he, he says it here, Colossians 3, verse 8. He says, but now you must also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man with his deeds. Verse 10, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him, Jesus, who created him. Jump to verse 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, that's all of us, we are elected, we are chosen by God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, put on meekness, long-suffering, bear with one another and forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. If it's a legitimate complaint, a real sin, not just a preference, but a legitimate complaint, he says, forgive. Even as Christ forgave you, you also must do. Now let's go back to Ephesians 5. We're going to read the first two verses. He says, therefore, be followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet smelling aroma. Just as Jesus loved us and sacrificed himself for us, which was a sweet smelling aroma to God. So we are to live sacrificially and love sacrificially for the good of others. Jesus is the perfect example of the love that God requires of us. And I'd like us to read 1 Corinthians 13. We're going to wrap up with this. 1 Corinthians 13. This, this is not only to be read at weddings. This is when we normally read this. But this is the kind of love that should describe what we have for one another what we have for family members, what we have for everybody. This is the love, the agape love that we receive from the Lord and we become conduits to give to other people. So we're just going to read verses 4 through 7, and I'm going to enlarge on each one um, according to uh, the study that I did this week. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4 says, Love suffers long. That means love has patience with imperfect people. It is kind. It's active in doing good. Love does not envy. That means it's not possessive or competitive. Love wants others to get ahead. Love does not parade itself. That means it does not demand attention. It is not puffed up. It does not treat others arrogantly. Verse 5, it does not behave rudely. So it uses good manners. It's courteous. It does not seek its own, means doesn't demand its own rights. 
Love is unselfish. I'm going to jump in right now. I just love this. We, we were teaching a seminar at some church. I don't even remember what country we were in at the time. And, um, and in the middle of the seminar, all the leaders kind of sat together and had lunch together. And we were sitting across from the main pastor that was hosting this. And his wife was missing. And so one of the elders said to him, hey, you know, brother, where's your wife? Don't you want to go find your wife? And he said, no, the scripture says love does not seek its own. <laughs> and every time I read this phrase, I see the whole picture again. And he said it so calmly, love doesn't seek its own. I thought, I'm going to start using that. Every time Reuben's missing, love does not seek its own. Okay, so love is unselfish. Let's move on. Love is not provoked. That means it's not irritable. It's graceful. It's gracious under pressure. Man, how hard that is, hey? Love thinks no evil. That means it erases resentments. It keeps no record of wrongs. It forgives. Verse 6, does not rejoice in iniquity. It does not spread evil reports. It rejoices in the truth. It advertises what is good. And then verse 7, it bears all things. It defends and holds other people up. It believes all things, believes the best about others, that they have good intentions. Love is not suspicious. It hopes all things. It never gives up on people. It endures all things. It remains loyal until the end. So in conclusion, let's be careful not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By the way we live, by the way we speak, let's put off bitterness, anger, wrath, unwholesome language, improper use of anger. There's a time to be angry. That's when it stirs us to righteousness. But let's put off the improper use of anger. Put off harsh words, slander, bad attitudes. Let's be tenderhearted and forgiving just as God has forgiven us. And let's imitate God and walk in love just as Jesus has loved us. It's a high calling. But through all, you know, we can only cling to the vine and through him letting receiving his love we can give it away and you know we will get hurt you always get hurt when you love people and you put yourself out there and you're vulnerable and you share and you're open and you're transparent whatever there's going to be hurt what we do with the hurt is we go back into our place of prayer and we give it to the lord we embrace it humbly that's part of humility is embracing the hurt. And so we embrace it. We don't just refuse it because if we refuse it, then we harden our heart. And we say, I'll forgive you, but I'll never trust you again. And then we don't have restored relationships of trust. We want to have restored relationships. So when we're hurt, we go into our prayer room, we embrace the hurt, and we forgive the person who gave it to us. We put it at the blood of Jesus at the cross, we receive his cleansing, and we begin to worship him. We stand on top of the pain. Sometimes you have to physically stand. I've done that too. Get on top of the pain, lift my hands, and begin to worship him and praise him in spite of the hurt. And as we praise him, he comes and comforts us because he inhabits our praises, sets us free from the pain, comforts us, and we emerge from our prayer room ready to love again. 
We've got to deal with these things. We can't carry yesterday's hurt into today. We can't carry last year's hurt into this year. We've got to deal with these things at the cross so that we can move on and be the people God wants us to be, love like he wants us to. I'm going to close in prayer, and I'll give a couple of more announcements. Lord, we confess that we cannot do any of this without you. And Lord, we, we actually thank you that you've called us to a high, holy standard. You don't want us to compromise. You don't want us to walk beneath the name that we carry. We carry the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, forbid that we walk beneath that name. We want to speak in a way that blesses you. We want to forgive in a way like you forgive. We want to walk in love. Lord, I pray that you'd walk tall in us all this week, that we, we would see in a way you see, we'd hear like you hear, we would think like you think. Lord, would you align our ways, our thinking, our words with your own. May we be conduits of your peace, of your joy, and of your love. Use us, Lord, to build the kingdom of God in other people and even in ourselves and in our communities. Lord, we don't want to be a drain on the community. We want to help establish your kingdom. Thank you, Lord. I, I know that everyone in here is so precious to you. These are your own sons and daughters. They are chosen. They are beloved. They're precious. Lord, would you bless them? Would you meet the needs, the felt needs, like in Marlin, where there's not water? Lord, would you meet the, the practical needs? Would you meet the spiritual needs? Would you help us to meet with you, to encounter you, where we're set free from the past and we're catapulted into the future by the grace of God? And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so...